Hey friends, good to be with you all. Thank you for joining us again this morning. Um, I'm gonna, we're gonna begin a new sermon series that we're calling Pursuit, a lifelong journey with God. And here, one thing we want to explore is what does it look like to follow Jesus? And what are the implications of actually living out our lives in light of what Jesus has done as we choose to follow him with all that we've got? I'll be reading today from Matthew verse 4, um, chapter, sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. Um, you can read with me as I read. This is what it says. As Jesus was walking between the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting out a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, the, they left their, the boat and their father and followed him. It's the reading of the word. Would you pray with me today? God, thank you for your word. I pray you speak to us, you convict us, you transform our hearts, and that you show us what it means to be your follower, what it means to be your disciple, your student. Um, speak, God, to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, have you ever noticed that um, older married couples tend to look alike? Um, there's a study that was done about this, and they, they, they saw that couples who have been married for over 25 years, they actually do tend to look alike. Um, one, one of their, the, the reasons for this is because, well, people uh, naturally gravitate or move towards someone that they're more familiar with, someone, maybe someone that looks like them. But also, interestingly enough, they said that over time, with shared emotion and shared experiences that you build up wrinkles and resemblances that tend to look the same. Like for example, you might laugh the same way, you might smile the same way, maybe cry the same way, and then over time, you tend to look alike. I don't know if that's gonna be true of me and my wife, Caitlin, because we're very different. You know, we don't look anything alike, but at least she's trying her best with her Nigerian accent. So we're kind of sounding the same a little bit, so that's not bad. But my point here is this, is that the, 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 the purpose and the goal of following Jesus is so that over time, we can start to look just like Christ. We can start to talk just like Christ. We can start to think just like Christ. We can start to act like Christ. The goal of following Jesus, the goal of discipleship is that we become more Christ-like. That our journey with him would transform us so that we become more like him. But however, you know, 
part of the problem is that there are so many, so many things that we're distracted by, so many ideologies in our world that we are distracted by that actually shapes us and forms us, maybe even more than Jesus, Jesus does. It's possible that we are formed more by the myriad of podcasts and Twitter posts and opinion pieces that we read more than we are by Jesus. It's possible that, that we're more influenced by political pundits and, 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 and news channels than we are by Jesus. The reality is, is that we fail to see the culture-shaping power of our society that tends to rewire our mind, rewire our thinking, rewire our actions, usually in ways that are in opposition to the way of Jesus. And because of this, for many of us, Christianity becomes more of a label that we slap on ourselves, becomes more of a label than a lifestyle that is meant to be lived out. When commands like love, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, remaining faithful to your spouse become more, more like mere suggestions, they don't become the actual living words that God has called us to live out. So today I want to talk about what does it look like to live in the way of Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus. Really, I want to, this is what it means. Following God is the process of learning and being formed in the way of Jesus. It is the intentional lifelong pursuit that is meant to inform every single aspect of our lives. And I want, to, I want to help us to understand this in three ways. One, I want to help us to see that one, that following God means that there is a call on our lives. Two, there's a cost to this call. And three, there's a radical change that happens as a result of this call. There's a call, there's a cost, and there is a change. First, there is a call. Um, in the text we read, we, we see a couple of fishermen just going about their business, just doing what they do, doing their jobs with their family, and just, you know, going about their vocation. And here comes Jesus to the scene, and all of a sudden, he just, he just says, he calls out to them, come and follow me. And they leave everything, surprisingly, to follow maybe this random stranger, and they go with him. They leave everything behind to follow Jesus. Now that sounds quite simple, but there's, I think there's more to this story. I think there's more that's happening that is uh, uh, beyond what we see. First, I think what we need to understand is that the words of Jesus are powerful and compelling. That when he comes and he says, come follow me, you have no other choice but to listen and to follow because he is powerful and compelling. He is no ordinary human being, right? Scripture records he is the son of God, not just a wise teacher, but he is God in flesh. So, of course, when you encounter someone of divine status, you obey and follow. 
when Jesus bids, come and follow me, his words are powerful and compelling. These are the very words of God. And even as we look at scripture, we see scripture as the very word of God that is alive and that is speaking to us. And we see that even the study of scripture is part of our discipleship process of following God and knowing more about God and becoming even more Christ-like. The words of our Lord and Savior is powerful and compelling. But two, his words are full of grace and compassion and love. You see, you see in, in the traditional mentor-apprentice relationship, usually the apprentice is the one who would go around seeking the mentor who would take him in and, and school him and training him and, and teach. But here in this case, it's very different. Jesus, the master, the mentor, the teacher, goes looking for his students and his disciples, inviting them to an intimate relationship. This is a master who's actually serving his students. That's like nothing we've seen before, that Jesus, God, would actually serve mere human beings. This is the grace of God in action. This is the love and compassion of God in action. And what it actually helps us understand is this, that even our ordinary human pursuit of God, our ordinary human pursuit of God is not something we do because of, of, of ourselves. Actually, we do it because it was initiated and instituted by God's pursuit of us that we get to pursue him because he first pursued us. As John the Apostle says, we love him because he first loved us. And he calls us to be his students, not because of anything we've done, but because of his grace, not because of our merits or our education, but because of his grace. And I think this is actually really clear in Matthew chapter 9, where the, the author documents his own call to, to, to discipleship. He talks about Jesus calling him. Who he, he, Matthew was a tax collector. And, uh, you know, he, 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 talks, he has his own section just talking through that. And some of the religious leaders who saw Jesus with Matthew and his friends were livid and criticized them for hanging out with, with sinners, as they called him. But Jesus' response here is indicative of who he is and why he came. This is what Jesus said. He said, it is not healthy, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is who God is inviting to the table. He's inviting you and me, broken uh, sinners, to the table. He's inviting us to the table. The question is, would we respond? Would you respond? to this invitation, to this call that is full of grace, that is full of compassion. He is calling us and he is inviting us. I remember as a kid, a lot of times when my parents 
um, will call out to me. I can usually tell when they were calling out to me to, you know, to come for something that I wanted or for something I did not want. For example, if they were calling me to eat my favorite food, oh, I knew. I would run to the table, eat. If they were calling me out to, for a gift or whatever it might be, I'm running, I'm excited, I'm jubilant. But if they're calling me to do a chore, then you, you would hear crickets because I don't want to do it. I don't want to do laundry. I don't want to do dishes. I, do, I just don't want to do it. I'd rather just eat, play video games, sleep, wake up in the morning and do the same thing all over again. At least that's when I was a kid, not now, I promise. But when I was a kid, that's what I wanted to do. But, but you see what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, the, 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 that, that I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I remember uh, Peter Parker's father would say, well, with great power comes great responsibility. I would say, well, with being human comes great responsibilities. And really, that's what it is. Sometimes we just have to do what we don't want to do. The call to discipleship is the same way. Oftentimes, we respond to the call because, oh, yeah, it's God's blessings. It's God's forgiveness. It's God's love. And those are things we'd love to hear. But if it's a matter of changing um, your heart, if it's a matter of God challenging us to be better, if it's a matter of challenging us to love our enemies, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to do that. Just let me be me. And unfortunately, when we do that, we undervalue and undermine God's pursuit of us by our passive, half-hearted pursuit of, of him, excuse me. Because Jesus calls us, he beckons us to lay down our lives. This, my friends, is my second point. It, there's a cost to following Jesus. And we often respond in, with passive indifference. Why is this? Well, it's costly, it's sacrificial, it's something we probably don't want to do. And this is really kind of one of the biggest obstacles to us really following Jesus. That's why you see many people who see the sexual ethics of the Bible and say it's outdated. Many will say, well, the command to love your enemies, that's unrealistic, because it's hard. No one wants to do it. And my friends, don't let popular Christianity trick you to believe that, that being a Christian is all about fun and party and games and lights and camera and action. No, it's hard. It's tough because God often challenges us to do things we don't want to do. Look at verse 20 and 22. It says this. It says when, when, um, that they left their jobs their security, their family business, their ambition to follow Jesus. And oftentimes, I don't want to give up on that relationship. It's fun. You know, I'm hanging out with my, my friends. And no, actually, sometimes I actually just need to chill, stay home, pray. I don't want to give up my money. No, God calls us to give, to be generous. I don't want to give up my autonomy. Following Jesus requires that we lay down our lives to follow him. 
You know, in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 24, it kind of lays out what it means, what it looks like, the cost of following Jesus. Jesus. This is what Jesus said. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will save it. Do you see this existential clash with the philosophy of our generation, the philosophy of our day? Now we are we're more and more conditioned to deify the self, what we want, our needs, our ambition, our wants and our desires above everyone, everything else. And it's no wonder today sometimes marriages struggle because we deify ourselves. Relationships are paralyzed, people are divided and alienated because we're being conditioned to deify the self. You know, it never ceases to amaze me sometimes when in, in the, when I think I am being um, holy, uh, being ambitious in a healthy way, that I can actually, um, see, I could take account, take an account of my heart and see that sometimes my motivations are selfish. That I am more interested in puffing myself up. I'm more interested in looking good in front of people. I'm interested in wanting to be respected by people. And I love what Christian Wyman, who is a poet, um, says in his book, uh, My Bright Abyss. He says this, ambition has the reek of disease about it, the relentless smell of the self, the need for approval, publication, self-promotion. Isn't this what usually goes under the name of ambition? The effort is to make ourselves more real to ourselves, to feel that we have selves. So long as your ambition is to stamp your existence upon existence, your nature on nature, then your ambition is corrupt and you're pursuing a ghost. And this is the tragedy of pursuing our wants and our needs and our ambitions. It just doesn't work. It leaves our world in disharmony. It leaves our world in chaos. Because we are putting ourselves above everyone else. It can't be harmony in that way. Yeah, so the reality is that God the cost of this call is to lay down our lives, to deny ourselves and follow him. But my friends, the good news is this, is that the benefits of following Jesus significantly, significantly outweighs the cost or the burden of following him. Check out verse 19. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 4, I should say, said, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. What is he saying here? 
that while following Jesus requires the cost of leaving the self behind, it actually gives us a new vision and a new purpose for, 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 for life. Because it moves us, it shifts us from this self-centered obsession to an other-directed attention. It moves us to other-directedness. It's like saying, Jesus is saying, come, receive my love so I can actually send you out to the world to share the love that he has. He's giving us a new purpose and a new vision. The world's vision for you is to be self-absorbed, self-obsessed. God's vision, vision for you is to actually, no, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but value others above yourself, as it says in Philippians 2. This is the clean, clear aim of following Jesus, that as we grow in loving him, as we grow in following him, we actually learn how to love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is the aim of following Jesus. That as we follow him and as we love him, we can actually love others and bring peace and harmony to our world. The truth is, during this season, loving well is probably one of the hardest things to do. We are frazzled. We're, we're still waiting and hoping that some sense of normalcy will come. Parents, you're school, homeschooling your kids again while you deal with work. Summer is almost over and then the election cycle has every one of us anxious and angry. It is a difficult time, a difficult moment to actually love our neighbors. To love those who may have hurt you. Yet my friend, as we follow Jesus, what Jesus is trying to tell us, as we come and we follow him, he does empower us to truly live this out. So what does it look like for you now to be shaped and formed in the way of Jesus? One of the things we want to do in our churches is allow our hope groups to be spaces where people can be discipled to follow Jesus in community. So one of the things you can do simply is just to join a hope group. Be a part of a hope group. Christianity is not a private enterprise. It's not something that we're, we're called to, to live out on our own. No, it's actually done in community. And even as you join a hope group, one of the things that we're hoping for is if you're new to like following Jesus, that you can actually start. Like this can be a beginning point for you to actually start that process of following God, pursuing God. And if you're used, if you're a Christian for a long time, well, one of the things you can do is strengthen what you've been doing all this time. And lastly, the place where we hope we all can go is learn to share that same love, as Jesus said, that we can fish out for people, share the love of Christ in our neighborhood, with our friends and our families. So my friends, I pray and I hope that you will join us in this this, this, this posture of following strong, hard after Jesus, that we can learn what it looks like to be um, his disciples and his students.
Amen. We're going to respond now in worship. Join us as we sing and worship our God.